Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I will be discussing a webinar that we attended by World Horse Welfare. We have done previous episodes on these webinars before, so if you're not following World Horse Welfare, it's definitely worth taking a look. This webinar was on how to provide a good life for horses, friends, freedom, and forage. Yep, this one was uh, presented by Nat Warren, Sam York, and Ray Andrews. They were the main um, instructors on this webinar. And then um, Nat Warren, we had as an instructor at Edinburgh, and she was such an easy... Uh, person to listen to. She has a very fluid way of speaking, and she's also got some good credentials. Um, She's an applied scientist by training and an educationalist at heart. She's executive dean and professor of One Welfare at the Eastern Institute of Technology in New Zealand, and then she works internationally on animal quality of life, promoting concept of one welfare in developing countries. Um, She's really got a good grasp on, I guess it would be called uh, public scrutiny of horse sports and how we use our horses. And she really feels the need that we need to address this um, kind of like for that social license to operate because we get such public pressure, especially in racing and eventing and dressage, that we, we've got to get on board with making sure that uh, we're providing good welfare for our horses. And she broke it down into three main topics that I think we can all be more conscientious of, and that's friends, freedom and forage. And starting with friends, that's just the socialization aspect that we allow for our horses. It always reminds me of um, a farrier that had said to me years ago, like he always had a rule of three. So he kept horses in three or more, but never kind of brought them down to even two horses together. He thought they needed that social dynamic of um, being able to create those different relationships. And what Nat even says is that, you know, horses that are kept on their own start to form those bonds with people. So their owners start to fill part of that void. But I think that really signifies the need the horse has for that socialization, you know, where it's lacking, they're going to actively seek that in some way. Yeah. And even they had an example of a donkey that didn't have other equids on the property and it bonded with a rooster. Well, then (laughs) once they took it away from the rooster to a donkey sanctuary, it freaked out because 
it had been only hooked up with a rooster before. So they ended up having to bring the rooster to the donkey sanctuary. So I thought these animals are truly herd animals where they hook up and when they hook up it's relatively strong and I think we have to realize that because we tend to move these horses around quite a bit during their lifetime and I think we you know we can't uh, stop that but we have to be aware of it and try to make it as easy on them as possible when we make those transitions. And I think like some countries have adopted this really well too, where I believe it's Sweden. Um, I might have to do a fact check on that. But there are, it's Sweden or Switzerland that um, you have to keep animals in pairs, especially like horses or dogs. They brought in a law to try and protect this aspect of their welfare where they need those relationships. Yeah, and you know, on on the opposite end of that, they said Singapore, it's against the law to turn a horse out with another horse that doesn't have the same owner. So one of the questions at the end of the webinar was from a lady who lives in Singapore, and she wanted to buy this horse, but they told her, if you only have one horse, that it's the government law that you can only turn that horse out by itself. And Nat was talking about how sad that is that, you know, they didn't even give her the opportunity to be able to have that horse bond with another horse. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the governments don't necessarily uh, line up with the ethology of the horses. And is it true, Nancy, in racing, um, I may have seen this in a movie, so it might not be that accurate. (laughs) But using like goats for company, is that a thing? I've known of using like Shetland ponies um, as companion horses, but I've either seen or read somewhere where they used goats. Yeah, there's there's quite a few shed rows that have goats in um, in thoroughbred racing. And, you know, the goats... um, can be in a stall with the horse or just tied outside a stall. And they seem to bring comfort for the horses that have a little higher level of anxiety. That's so interesting. Yeah, I they- think as well, that's such like, people are so drawn to that when like interspecies become friends. Yeah. And it, I mean, sometimes in racing, you just can't take a chance on the, um, a highly valuable horse getting injured from Mm -hmm. being turned out with other horses. So of course a race ready horse can never really be turned out. They're just too high and too fit. And um, she also talked about during this, um, when you do keep a horse in and then you turn it out what did she call it? It was called like the um, reciprocal effect that they're more likely to get hurt because they're just ecstatic after being inside and then you turned them out and they just are crazy and running around yeah. and they're more likely to get injured. And she had a, a name for that. And I know the what it rebound was. Effects. The rebound effect. Yep. And yeah. she, 
people sometimes, and I've seen it because it's raining, they won't turn their horses out. So it gets muddy and slippery, but then they'll be in a few days. And then when actually the footing is at its worst, you're going to be dealing with that rebound effect and you could really be taking a chance. They're going to hurt themselves. It's far better. Let them be out in the rain and have all that energy expended uh, rather than keep them pent up. And it just keeps building. Another cool aspect to being able to socialize them as well as how you stable them if they are kept indoors so I think we briefly mentioned before, like open barn systems where the horses, you know, you'll have a number of horses in one large open barn. They're not in individual stalls. Um, but some other cool developments are stalls that can house two or three horses or even like this layout of stalls where the horses can interact with each other through the bars and might actually be able to see three other horses at one time so in a typical stable layout I always think of like a row down one side and a row down the other and the horses may be able to interact to the horse on their left and their right because of the bars but in this setting the two rows are in the center so they have more interaction with other horses that way there's always the part of me I think as a vet nurse that thinks oh definitely infection control is harder in those situations but where you've got a healthy herd I mean that is ideal and she said that does improve welfare for the horses to be in those kinds of social dynamics when being stables at night yeah and I have that bar system and I tell you what they even sleep in certain positions like head to tail uh, up against the wall with another horse so it really works well and it does mitigate stress and in uh, separation anxiety they can always see one another and then even when they're indoors they're in a herd situation and um, it, it works out really good and it really works out well when you bring a new horse in they can get to know one another through the bars without getting hurt And so at first, I always introduce the new horse to everyone through the bars. And then um, I thought it was interesting when I think it was Sam York recommended that if you have two horses that just don't seem to get along, if you put them on a trailer or lorry and you take them for a ride, through the village, she said, are, you know, just a little bit of a ride. The stress of that will help them to bond. And then when you get back to the farm, they get along better. So I had never heard that concept before. And I thought that makes total sense because when you go to a competition with two horses and they don't really know one another when they're at that competition they do kind of hook up a little bit where they uh, if you leave the trailer to go into a class the horse that's left will kind of cry out to the horse that's leaving Mm -hmm. and even though they really didn't know each other before that time so during periods of stress might be a way to kind of help two horses bond with one another and then it's easier when you do turn them out on the farm 
Yeah, because I think that just feeds back into that herd dynamic too, where ultimately, you know, they will band together over, you know, the common predator, I guess, or whatever is the biggest threat to them, I should say. That's what's going to make them rely more on instinct than maybe personality differences they might have otherwise. Yeah, I just had never thought to do that before. And I thought that's brilliant. Hey, everyone, we want to take a brief moment to tell you about a Feed XL discount now available on our show page. Each week, we'll have a link under our reference notes that will give our listeners a 10% discount on any FeedXL membership level. Let go of stressing and guessing about your horse and what you're feeding. FeedXL will do an automatic ration calculation and show you if any nutrients are above or below a healthy amount. I've been a member for three years and highly recommend it. Go to anchor.fm to the Conversations in Equine Science homepage and the latest episode will have the link. Thanks so much. And then um, the other thing that kind of stuck out to me was the UK, and you can tell me, Kate, if I misinterpreted this, but they said that the UK has established a rolling minimum space of 17 to 20 uh, meters squared. Yeah. That is huge, you know, because I think normally, um, what, what do we, what's a normal stall in the UK that before this ruling? Oh, before the ruling, I'm not sure. Um, because now there is legislation for what the stall can be yeah and I know a meter is close to a yard so I mean it normally stalls in America are like 12 by 12 some are even 10 by 10 and that's feet so that would be um like three by three or four by four meters you know squared and I thought, oh, my God, 17 to 20 meters squared, that, that's big. And that's what they've determined to be safe for a horse to roll in. Yeah. And so, like, is that, Nancy, what is 17 to 20 meters in feet? Well, you would divide it by three. So, because <laughs> this um, is where you're going to lose me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, it would be like, um, say 20 by 20, or even let's just make it by three, it would be like five meter, five meters squared would be a stall length. And that would probably be 15 by 15. Because I think, I think the previous standard was 12 by 12. Okay. To your question, I, I believe it was originally 12 by 12, which makes sense if you're in the U.S., if they're still using. Yeah. Ponies probably would have been in a 10 10 by 10. I still feel like that would have been quite small, but I'm sure there are. Before this came in, I'm sure there were plenty places that probably did have ponies in a 10 by 10. 
Well, um, this that was surprising to me because normally I think it was um, four by four meters squared was comparable to our 12 by 12. And so often our 12 by 12 are large stalls over here. So yeah. that's a big deal that they made that a, a standard because that is adequate space. And so many barns in the U.S. would not comply with that. So that's amazing. That's, that is really a nice room for a horse to be able to lay down and roll and not get cast. And I think people don't realize like the significance of that. Like this falls under um, the freedom part of this. Mm -hmm. So friends, freedom forage. Horses have to have a freedom to perform their normal behaviors because that directly impacts their welfare. They have to be able to behave as themselves. And rolling is such an important behavior that they do but the amount of space they need to roll is really significant. And I think before now we didn't have a proper comprehension. Um, and of course, like, I feel like now you don't hear touch wood of as many horses being cast, but certainly when I was younger, that was a constant fear mm -hmm. that you would come in in the morning and a horse would be cast in the stall. Yeah. And that, that I remember when I first got into horses, they always told you to bank the stalls mm -hmm. to make it easier for them to get up. So we knew that was always a possibility. And, you know, congrats to the UK for figuring out this is the size that you need for a horse to be able to lay down, get proper rest and be able to roll and get back up. So um, I know it's, uh, that was amazing to me, that size, that's a good size stall. And then I think one of the last things I wanted to cover was the, um, how do you assess a good quality of life for your horse? And I think that's something we all ask, we all want for our horses. And um, Nat gave a good definition for that. And she said, it's when you see your horse freely interacting with other horses, you see them being playful, but you also see them freely approach other humans. You know, they're pretty much on a good mental, physical and behavioral well-being. So exactly. I yeah, I think, and then she all, I think someone asked her about how much freedom is enough. And uh, she said, you know, they just, they just don't have the answer to that yet. That mm -hmm. you are in a boarding situation and you can't give your horse a lot of freedom. Well, give them a little freedom. I think it just takes little steps to, to get to the point that you give your horse a little of, um, the freedom and when you give freedom they're gonna opt to forage and to have friends so mm -hmm. I think freedom was the main um, topic of this lecture and when it comes to forage um, Nancy and I have talked about this a lot if you want a little bit more in depth we've got two episodes that probably cover this um quite well we've got episode 17 high starch diets and their effect on behavior which also links into that rebound effect that nancy had mentioned so 
you know, if you're keeping your horses in and you're feeding them high grain, you are going to have a crazy horse. My favorite thing is that time, Nancy, you used the expression <laughs> that you would have to scrape your horses off the ceiling with a spatula. Yeah. Um, I think that sums it up nicely with the high starch. And then another brilliant, brilliant um one is I'm saying brilliant and then I'm like oh I'm calling our own episode <laughs> absolutely <laughs> amazing but it was a seminar that Nancy and I went to that was excellent and it's episode 32 but it's the review of equine obesity seminar and there's a huge amount on forage and feeding and providing hay in a correct way lots in that so if you are looking for more forage advice then definitely um, those two episodes will put you on the right track. Yeah, I think that was Dr. Ruth Morgan from yes. the vet school. That Oh, she changed the way I feed hay. And uh, knock on wood, I haven't had any weight issues with my pony this spring. Um, as far as I've been feeding that more browsy hay, at least mm -hmm. 50% of the ration, you can give that type of hay. And then that's busy work and trickle feeding forage, but not feeding calories. Exactly. And the importance of trickle feeding is kind of, again, underpinned in this webinar that we went to because they were saying, you know, even if you give horses their full ration at once, you'll find that they'll actually trickle feed themselves they'll pick and then they'll kind of come back to it. Whereas if you're feeding their ration, you know, in two meals per day, often we actually almost train them to finish the bucket and then we take it away. They're not really given that opportunity. Certainly I would think in, you know, rising schools where they might be fed and then maybe turned out afterwards, they only have such a period of time to get that in. And we're almost underpinning the need for them to eat all that food at once and um, mm -hmm. and they do have small stomachs and they should be kind of picking at their food and coming back to it so definitely some considerations in how we're providing their fees yeah and even if you have to go to you know some I mean I have a pony that looks at grass and gains weight <laughs> so she just gets enough of a balancer to provide her with the nutrients that she needs. And then um, the rest of the time, she just gets busy work to mm -hmm. keep chewing and swallowing and eating and doing all that. Um, what did she call it? Appetitive? Um, yes. And um, there's appetitive and consumative when and, it comes to foraging. Yeah. And then it, when they can do that and be trickle feeding and chewing and salivating they're keeping ulcers at bay and then also your stereotypic behaviors don't come up um and what did she say horses that are stuck in a stall and they don't have enough to do it's not like they can read a book or watch a tv show they're just bored and she said they'll become lethargic or they'll get aggressive There'll be door kickers, wood chewers, stall walking, weaving, wind sucking, cribbing. And, uh, you know, I see all that on the racetrack when horses are stuck in a stall too long without proper forage. Because that um, appetite of behavior is important. A horse will basically have a motivation 
to seek yeah. out food. So, you know, there's other things that go into that. But essentially, think of it, they're hungry. The appetite of behavior is the actual seeking of the food. And we know from other discussions before that they are picky eaters. Um, they're going to leave patches in the same field every time untouched. And that's just their natural behavior. But when they have this appetite of behavior where they're seeking out food, if forage is available, they then move on to the consumatory behavior, which is eating it. And then that goes full circle again. If they're still hungry, they have motivation to keep feeding. If they're not, they stop for a while. Yeah. But if you've got them in a stall and they've got this seeking behavior and no forage, they start to get this internal frustration, internal stress, and then they start to show these stereotypic behaviors as well. And that goes in a full circle. So they need constant forage. They need that browsy hay. It slows them down. Yeah, that's well said, Kate, because that describes that whole thing that it's like a feedback um, yeah. graph, you know, one thing leads to another. And uh, that's well said. So um, I am a fully endorse that browsy hay for busy work because when they're in all night, They'll eat all that alfalfa and leafy stuff first. They've got that other stuff they can pick through. And, you know, I tend to blend different cuttings of hay together. Then they'll do that grazing behavior of seeking and exploring and eating. But they it's kind of like a pasture. They've got different types of grass. Yeah legumes to to eat my husband it drives him crazy because most people just throw a flake of hay in I mix hay I make a salad (laughs) make a salad (laughs) the men crazy you know (laughs) just want to throw the flakes of hay in there and get done with you know but well I think that's about all that I had on this Kate It, it was a really good um webinar and I will put a link to it because they are replaying it on YouTube so if anybody's interested you can go to our show page and it will be in the show notes and the only other thing today is just a shout out to equine thoughts on Instagram and who left us a nice comment on our trailer episode and that it might be an interesting one to listen to if you haven't listened yet so that's Alea, um, equine underscore thoughts, if anyone is interested in having a little look and seeing. But yeah. other than that, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you are listening on an Apple device or through iTunes, please do give us a rating if you're enjoying the episodes. Sounds great. And we'll see everybody next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.